This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM. In this episode, I speak to Manish Saradana. Manish is an entrepreneur with a passion for building platforms that drive social impact. His latest venture, Cradle.com, is on a mission to democratize access to quality higher education in sub-Saharan Africa. Prior to this, Manish had worked as a managing director of Squad Africa, part of WPP's CAN Group, where he founded two businesses, Gobi e-commerce platform and Optimus marketing automation platform, both of which are being used by top enterprises across Africa. He also served as head of Group M Digital Africa at WPP Scan Group. In this episode, we talk about entrepreneurship, leadership, and what it takes to be successful in a digital world. Welcome. Welcome, Anish, to the MSK podcast, the first ever podcast from MSK, sponsored by EABL. I'm so happy to have you today. I've known you for many years and I've, you know, loved your journey in the marketing and technology world. Can we start by you telling us a bit about yourself and how you found yourself in where you are today, which we're going to talk about in a bit? Yeah, so thanks. Thanks, Vatera. Great to be here as well. First podcast, so very nervous. <laughs> I'll try my <laughs> Don't best. Don't be nervous. <laughs> yeah, so I'm currently the founder and CEO of Cradle. That's C-R-A-Y-D-E-L dot com. Been in uh, the marketing services business for about 10 years in collective, three years in India and seven years in Kenya. Like like most kids, grew up in an environment where I think my choices in education were sort of thrusted on me. Grew up in a family of economists, so became an economist. Did pretty well at it, actually. So you went to school and studied economics? Economics, yeah. I did yeah. my bachelor's in economics. Actually taught my university. So I was very good at it. Then, oh, you were top in class. Yeah, I was. I was number one, not in the class, like in the entire university. Wow, eh, Manish. So after that, <laughs> the next logical step was to go to do my master. So I went to this college called Delhi School of Economics, where all the Indian prime ministers, finance ministers have gone to study. <laughs> Nobel Prize winners from India have gone to study there. Wow. So my Which first class, uh, Delhi School of Economics. Okay. We used to always feel we were better than London School of Economics. So went to study there. You know, first class, the dean tells us, you know, where you are sitting. You know, Amartya Sen, who's a Nobel Prize winner from India, used to sit here. Our ex-finance minister used to sit. So it was that sort of high pay degree college. I dropped out of that college in the first semester because I think, okay, I was I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a theoretical economist. And I think people were just too full of themselves there. But when did you realize that now economics so, is not for you? Yet so you're so I, I, love, I love the subject. I love the subject. I didn't sort of like the sort of envi- entire environment in a sort of economic class because you know in 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 that class you only had 70 seats to get in in India to get into university you have to go through an entrance exam 700,000 students would apply for that exam and only 70 students would get selected from 70 India. out of 700,000 yeah, yeah, yeah wow so it was very tough to get in so when people got in there they thought they were like God's gift to mankind <laughs> and I didn't kind of like the environment there. Plus, also, I think everything was very theoretical. And I think that time, what was happening was Sabir Bhatia just sold Hotmail for $400 million to Microsoft. And I thought, like, wow, that, that's that's the world we need to go into, right? I was always very passionate about entrepreneurship and businesses. When I was very, very young, like seven, eight years old, I used to I used to have a lot of businesses. I used to have small businesses, you know. Tried, well, which like, is open, your first business? My first business, my first business and my first failed business uh, was uh, I opened a library. So, you know, we used to come from sort of not sort of very well-to-do families. So we used to have books and, and kids wanted to read books and comics and everything. And uh, so what I did was I got all my cousins and my friends to collectively. It was like the first idea of a shared economy, I think, at that time <laughs> back in 
1980s sometime mm-hmm. so i got my friends and my cousins to put in the books together so i started a library which i would rent out comic books to and then people would pay or supposed to pay money for those comics how books. old were you when you were doing that business like 9 or 10 i think that was wow. my first venture okay and how so did that i broke even but uh, then uh, i think i had a lot of issues because like kids would take my books and they would never return the books so my entire day was just spent in book recovery comics <laughs> recovery so just go door to door and like beg of them sure, cry in front of them that please bit. yeah because i had to return eventually you know it was like uh, stuff that i will do during summer holidays mm. so every summer holiday i'll pick up a business and run it so i think like very early on in my life i sort of loved the idea of sort of coming up with business ideas starting businesses and 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 growing businesses and and making money out of businesses i think i was very very passionate about it so economics is something i just happened into because i had family of very successful economists and i think it was something that you know just grew with anyways when i was in delhi school you know sabhi party just sold you know hotmail and there was like this there was a first sign of sort of internet technology you know businesses starting in india at that time so that was the year 2000 and that's what decided that's the time i decided i want to quit and i want to start something on my own so i went to a couple of my friends we started the business it was a magazine it was a college youth magazine i thought like people will go crazy about it <laughs> so we had a first run of 10000 magazines and i think like we sold like 100 copies your like, first run was 10000 10000 yeah, yeah. Oh, we went all were... the way i mean you see we we went all the way we said like, <laughs> let's thought like if i'm quitting delhi school of economics i have to be a millionaire i mean nothing else can sort go. of yeah compensate for leaving delhi school So yeah, so we sold I think like hundred, two hundred copies, mostly friends and families. Like it was, we had a distribution network. We had like the entire business model figured out. But like, yeah, no one, no one was willing to pay like ten bucks for that magazine. Unfortunately. Anyways, we improved and improved and started doing better. And of course, like the magazine business is not on advertising, so my job was to fetch advertising. Okay. And it wasn't easy. I mean, I had like my dad's scooter, which I would like the entire day. I would leave at eight o'clock in the morning, and I had I was what twenty years old. 19 years old actually so i had no idea of advertising revenue generation that time so so anyways so so we got successful we got a bunch of people who sort of took a bet on us i think a lot, a lot of people just they just pitied us and gave <laughs> us the money um i remember this very interesting instance uh, i went i went to this uh, i went to this company called NIT it was a computer education company for for targeting our campus students perfect match for our magazine and the guy eventually after a lot of calls gave me an appointment So I reached there at nine o'clock in the morning, and uh, the guy walks in at nine thirty. He sees me, says hi to me, and uh, walks into his office for the meeting. And I'm just waiting. So nine o'clock becomes twelve o'clock, becomes two o'clock, becomes three o'clock, and this guy just doesn't like. I have notified the receptionist that I'm waiting, and she knows, and he knows, but but he never. So I'm t- I'm there till six o'clock in the evening. I'm just sitting on What? the couch. Yeah, yeah, because I'm thinking if I just take even a washroom break and this guy comes and doesn't find me, look, I'm a nobody, <laughs> so right? So you didn't move. I didn't move. You know, <laughs> uh, I had uh, I had cramps in my ball. Okay, I had I had, I had challenges here. <laughs> so so I stayed there, and then six o'clock in the evening, I see this guy leaving his office with his lunchbox, and he. So he's going he home. Just, yeah, he's going home. He's gone home. Mm. It's like now, now what do I do? But now the thing is, you know, we are so desperate because you know, with magazines, you need to plan these runs in advance because you know, if your magazine has to be to the distributor by twenty seventh of the month for the next year, next month's publication, you need to have your advertising sorted out. You need to have your print runs sorted out. So, so I can't leave now. Next day in the morning, he comes back. He sees me exactly sitting there. I, ha- I haven't gone home. What do you mean you home. don't leave? Yeah, I, I didn't leave that office. I stayed there the entire night. I was like, I'm just going to. I just decided to guilt trip this guy so much that out of the guilt trip, he just ends up giving me money. 
because you know we had a, we had you know we were asking them for a lot of money and then you know we we had a very small circulation did you get it all yeah yeah he gave me a 6 months contract okay. full page ads so 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 what did he say about keeping you waiting all that time well he, you know so when he returned he was he was in shock because he seen me in the same clothes <laughs> it's like so so you came back in the same clothes i said no i didn't leave and he's like what do you mean you didn't leave exactly the way you asked me right and uh, i said i didn't leave because you know what will i go and tell my team that i i told them that today i'll come back with a yeah. contract and i didn't have the face to show them and they're all waiting you know for me to tell them the money is in so eventually i think like he was like he said money is just because of your perseverance mm. and your patience i'm just going to write you a six month check you know mm. so so he gave me a six month so that gave us a big lease of life and we had a bunch of other advertise sometimes success follows success and then you get the momentum coming in and you so you know nit is yeah. advertising on our platform so then you know the 10 other advertisers started to say yes so eventually that pigeon sort of came to an end after one year one of my the, the guy who was the editor of the magazine uh, decided he had to go to mba so he went to i think he went to the uk or something and uh, my other partner who was a commercial girl she decided to get married my designer filed for a divorce so <laughs> my team was all over so so yeah so, so let's fast forward to how did you then end up in an advertising agency yeah so eventually you know after sort of this school didn't work out and i was like in the pits of my life because my colleagues you know my classmates were doing well and i was nowhere so i decided to do an mba so i didn't i did an mba from india after mba so we had this thing called college placements so the companies come to the college and then they pay students so the first company that came to an office was fcb which is a large advertising sort of group globally and everyone applies on day 0 because it's the first day so i just happened to get selected in advertising it was not something i was you know thinking about even so i was just in advertising by accident so i got into advertising i was there for about two and a half three years so worked two years with fcb then one year with publicis eventually got super cynical of advertising you know i was the head of strategy planning for hp uh, hewlett packard in india so i was a very senior role grew up from account management to get into strategy planning then i would just make these presentations after presentations after presentations and these presentations would just stay presentations Dude, the ideas like, would stay a, a, on powerpoint a, a, everything yeah it was just why why was that happening i think uh, and this is my personal view i think there is a genuine lack of courage in the marketing profession by and large mm. um and 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 some of the thought that i wanted i would they were not safe ideas they were bigger ideas you know they were sort of more transformative i always believe advertising should walk the talk i think a lot of there's a lot of talk and there's not enough walk but so on, a lot of my advertising ideas as well was some of you know i think i get you on the courage piece but sometimes i think ideas come you know come our way that are not based on a consumer truth yeah. or an insight Yeah and, and absolutely it is 100% possible that you know at those times my ideas are not grounded into business realities or even not grounded into consumer truths um but there was a reason I was the head of strategy for HP I mean you know I had something to offer which was sort of you know genuinely good ideas I think like after every presentation the client's reaction was that look we really love this I think we totally going to do this but for now we have a full page ad in the in the in the times of <laughs> india can can we just get that done and it'll come so back to this later so you said getting jaded you're like this yeah, yeah i was i was very jaded i think like the entire advertising ecosystem i was very jaded so i wanted to do something meaningful and as i said that was a time when startup sort of ecosystem was sort of really happening in india that time so i so i left advertising that time actually my boss that time was sandeep madam oh. who is currently the ceo of uh, 
he's actually the one who hired me in publicis and okay so, he's the ceo of well he was a vp vp at uh, publicis in a delhi branch okay um so yeah so he's the one who sort of hired me actually in the interview so eventually i left advertising you know f- for good in my view i think at that time i was like i'm done with this like, I'm and, done. I, and i and i want to make change happen you see i was very driven about change you know like yeah so maybe a lot of my ideas were were crap but but didn't matter i wanted to make them happen what, i mean that was my change? desire business impact societal change yeah yeah i think like you know i talk about this like i have this theory of uh, perpetuators and agitators right so perpetuators perpetuate equals you know existing status quo and agitators agitate uh, status quo mm-hmm. so i used to get like super agitated by like how things were around us and you know you wanted to change those things So when my friends uh, my couple of my friends they had they were in the US they had sold their company to Microsoft so they had made a bunch of money so they decided to come back to India and start their company in the education space and I I came from the, this entire competitive examination ecosystem and how little help and this too much pressure in India in terms of competitive exams so I and then they they were trying to solve that problem they were trying to sort of help students so they had built a peer to peer network to help students to sort of succeed in competitive exams so it appealed to me I knew somehow in the future I mean I, I knew somehow that the future will be shaped by technology so I always thought that there'll be people on the right side and the wrong side of technology so I wanted to be in the right side of technology What do you mean the wrong side of technology There are people who get disrupted and people who disrupt Okay So I wanted to be people who disrupt Okay So, so um, what do you mean by the wrong side Yeah so I wanted to be the right side of technology means that I thought that there are only two types of people like who'll be disrupted by technology and who will disrupt you know so I wanted to be the one who is disrupting not the one who's disrupted I was also a very competitive person because you know in India you just naturally become very competitive because of the number of people that you're competing with always. <laughs> I like that the number of people that yeah, you're you're always competing. Cousins, you know, my my nieces, you know, they got 98.4% and they announced that in the family group and then uh, there's complete silence because they know they have new feature at 98.4% <laughs> because that's not it's good com- enough. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, not at all. You 99.2 99.4 that's where you start to get noticed. So yeah it's, it's a very fierce, fiercely competitive environment in India so you become very very tough and hard I wanted to sort of look at and I was very inspired by these people at that time I think people like Steve Jobs and I think they were my early sort of superheroes so I used to read a lot about them yeah. there was not enough you know media available to read about them so you had to sort of really figure out how do you get content but anyway so I left that sort of advertising sort of business to start be a part of the startup where I stayed for about 7 years Yeah. So I always have played long innings in my career. So okay. stayed uh, stayed there for 7 years. I mean we got very successful actually. You know, we we scaled the business to 23 cities in India. We were funded by Intel Capital, we were funded by Japanese Bank. I mean I, I remember one point where we were like like any startup, we were running out of cash. I think we had like 10 20,000 shillings in a, you know, equivalent worth of money in a bank. And then Intel said that they have transferred the money from Mauritius. and uh, suddenly our bank account was like 9 million dollars plus 20000 shillings so so it was a it was a high point i think we had a lot of drinks that night um so yeah so that in that transition then we got like very successful and then we sort of grew very large and then i think we made a lot of mistakes in the business i think like we didn't know how to handle so much money like we have never okay. seen so many zeros in a bank account right okay. so when that money came you know we went crazy we started hiring left right and center you know we made a bunch of mistakes that time we started doing we lost our focus we started to do 100 things because we got more money than we wanted right. so it's that that's interesting that getting more money actually caused your business to fail yeah because uh, because we were not frugal about you know our decisions you know we were we were not focused at all we were going to do 10 things because we could 
because we could afford right, to right. so we opened our business into 10 different sort of areas 10 different dimensions we had a travel tech business we had a ed tech business we had an e-commerce business like we just didn't focus at all so we lost it all eventually i took away my part of the business i split it out as a separate company i spun it off as a separate company okay. and i sold my company to a financial investor and actually made personally i made money like okay. i was the only one who actually ended up making money okay that was smart of business. you you got out when you so yeah. in the heat of things yeah yeah that was yeah. smart of you so manish how did you end up you've been in kenya 7 years what did you come to do and how did that go yeah it was interesting so after i sold my startup right i mean my wife was just pregnant that time so i decided to take care of her and i was like i worked like a dog for 8 9 years and i was like i'm just going to take a break for a few months and and help her out and she That's was just really starting nice. her cakes business and i wanted okay. to support her so i was her delivery boy so every cake she would bake i will physically go and deliver those cakes to people house and i would make like 800 shillings or 1000 shillings per cake right and and i would do that with pleasure because that meant a lot to her i, I was her delivery you, boy that's fantastic yeah yeah i was her errands boy i would get all the cake supplies you know um so so yeah so i, I did those things like for 6 months that's all i did and i stayed at home and i was very happy actually and then you know my my boss that time i mean you know gorov mm-hmm. you know gorov was the was the head of squad digital yeah yes. gorov was also my first reporting boss in publicis so gorov used to report to sandeep okay so so gorov it was just on facebook messenger actually that's exactly how it happened He was like, "Hey Manish," I was like, "Hey," he's like, "What are you doing this?" I said, "Nothing." He said, "You want to come to Kenya?" I said, "Sure." Just Ten like minute, that. Just like that, and I had no You're idea. You're a bit of a risk like, taker, I, aren't you? Plus, plus, I've never been. I never travel outside my country uh, for wow. work. Yeah. So, so you'd so, never even been to Kenya. Never been. Anywhere. But you're like yes. Vicinity, yeah. So I just said yes, you know. Okay. So you didn't overanalyze it. You I, just no, said no, not at all, not at all. Then I think I had a contract in like 15 minutes. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then and then But it speaks a lot to obviously that Gaurav knew you, knew your work, yeah, knew your knew work me, ethic, yeah. knew yeah. your character that yeah. he didn't need to go through a formal interview, interview process. process. Yeah. Th- that's yeah. great. Yeah. It's about your personal brand being yeah. really strong. Yeah. That these opportunities come your way. And I think like the thing with personal brand is that you don't have to go around and build it. I think it just builds on its own. just focus on you know doing great stuff and i think the and your values yeah and your value system and i think I, i can talk about value system because that's something that was a very important thing for me during my transition from scan group into starting my own company so i'll talk about that later so yeah so she offered me a job i told my wife you know let's go to kenya is like okay sure you know my Even wife has been like, supportive sure. yeah, yeah yeah my <laughs> wife has been very supportive of me always in my life but what about her cake business what, what so so we you see the thing with cake business is she is the cake business right yeah, so we so can always can take it anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody it's, it's eats cake skills. all around yeah, the world absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i think here we eat more <laughs> so okay so um, so yeah so so we just came to kenya and uh, it was beautiful i mean i i came to westlands and i looked around and it was beautiful the weather was fantastic people were extremely friendly and warm and i think india people are extremely rude like now we never we never <laughs> noticed that when we were in india but now i come back here like everyone says hello to you i was like why are you saying hello to me like in india if you say hello to a stranger they be like what do you have in mind what do you expect out of me what do you want out of me so 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 he's like why is everyone saying hello and yeah, why is everyone smiling to me yeah. yeah so it was yeah it was a beautiful experience and uh, so my wife was still there in india so i told her look i don't know how this goes let me go there a month figure this place out and then okay. i'll give you a call and then yeah so she agreed to come and uh, yeah so 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 we settled a life here we took a one bedroom apartment and uh, we started a life here and uh, it was a very interesting experience i think culturally you know for me to sort of so I, in india i used to manage a team of 300 400 people so i'm used to managing large teams of people squad was now of course one of the most premium successful pioneer sort of technology led digital agency you know in kenya so it had a lot of sort of charisma it had a lot of 
you know a bit of arrogance I and mean, we we were the most premium agency you know very very clearly that time so so like what, what year was this so i came to kenya in 2004 me okay so squad digital was just getting started then yeah it was just like a couple of years old okay and um, and it was uh, it was amazing i mean i came to office and we had all this love global awards you know hanging everywhere and we had like this you know like a 200 inch screen we had like loud music we had a bar in the office like in india you can't imagine the idea of having a bar in the office um so like work is supposed to be a place of worship so you can't imagine alcohol in a place of worship right so work is supposed to be a place of worship yeah yeah, yeah explain that so i think like as i said and india is very very competitive so getting to a job is you know so like and i give you an example to explain you know what is work is worship to me when i left my first job in india in advertising and i went to my dad and said look i've left this job and i got another job he slapped my face and 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 i was like why w- why <laughs> and uh, and he said you know my dad and my mom have been loyal to one organization all their life like yes. they started and ended in one career yeah, in one that place and, and he said to mm. me that the company that gave you your start the company has invested in you and believed in you is a company that you're leaving for money and and that was like a big lesson for me at that time um also you know you because you see workplace you see f- for our parents workplace was a place that will sustain your family and your kids and your future right yeah So so that why it was a place of worship because you know that's 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 where you find your your entire life is sustained and your family yeah. is sustained because of that workplace. So there's a lot of respect for workplace from that sense. Yeah. So so that was a big lesson for me and that's why I've been extremely loyal to organizations, you know. So like Cradle is really my fourth job in my 17 years career. Okay. So my first so job advertising 3 years, then startup 7 years, then scan group 7 years. I think I have this 7 year itch kind of a thing. So every 7 years I think I have to move. Um <laughs> but that's not bad that's a pretty good um, yeah, yeah. Uh, lesson in terms of Absolutely. So yeah. when I came to the office and everyone was like having drinks on Monday morning I was like what have I got myself <laughs> into it was a different culture different life altogether. The, not on Monday morning no. <laughs> no, <laughs> Let, no 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 yes yeah, yeah yeah ask anyone who's squad from Kalamu house days you know they'll they'll tell you I mean it was drinks every single day all the time. <laughs> and the guys were good you know we were winning all awards you know we had the best clients we had safaricom we had kcb we had equity you know i think eabl i was told that we fired eabl i don't know what was the back story of that is i don't know about that either yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Apparently, let's talk about awards because yeah. in marketing obviously being recognized for your work is 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 very important and we also believe that award winning work is work that is also effective uh, effective in the point that not only just delivering an roi it delivers on business outcomes so awards in the marketing industry we know are very we hold them in a high stature i know you've been exposed to seeing work or even participating in juries for awards locally regionally i think you've been on the luris uh, jury um but what is your point of view on the quality of entries that you see in the local market not not just even the local market our um, uh, uh, nominations from kenyan brands kenyan companies and i'm saying this just be open and honest you know we are the eabl we're always submitting awards to various msk luris you name it what is the quality of the work that you see can i just take a step back from there and mm-hmm. like the the awards have i think you need two perspectives one is the perspective you're talking about right which is marketing effectiveness right yes. you know you do it a piece of work a piece of communication or it is an activation or whatever it is and it generally the idea of that activation was to actually help the business right correct and then that piece of work was so compelling it gets so such great results to the business or or brand awareness or brand engagement or whatever the kpis are you measuring that work with 
that that it generally deserves an award it needs to be celebrated like you Correct. know then there's another piece of you know uh, awards which is which is about you know creative yeah uh, it's about creative celebrating their art i think and a lot long, long talk with a lot of creatives you know in the industry you know for a long time on this topic and, and and their point of view was that you know we have this beautiful creative ideas and all of these creative ideas never see the light of the day so we will use awards as a as as a platform for us to create some of these creative ideas just for the purpose of awards so there's a lot of creative work that happens and it wins awards that has never seen light of the day i have personally seen work you know that that we have submitted for awards and we won awards on that has never been live even really or been live for uh, 24 hours just to get your entry in like sometimes the things that you see in awards you know like but my question is why should imp- we separate great impactful creative ideas because those great impactful creative ideas should translate to great business outcomes so it helps with your campaign metrics your brand metrics but ultimately your business outcomes why do we separate the two they should be one Yeah, everyone has a point of view on this, right? Depends on what side of the table that you sit in. Like, creative's point of view is that I have this brilliant creative idea that the client is not willing to invest money behind. But I think this creative award, can, this creative idea can win an award. So they will produce a creative just for, and they will they basically at the end of the day ask the client to just sign off, saying, "Okay, I'm going to spend my own money." Agencies sometimes spend their own money on paying the creative piece of work because the clients are not sponsoring that money. So, so you know, I have a challenge with that because it it feels like it's the idea was not really executed. Yeah, it could be that reason. It could be that the idea was not, as you said, so earlier was not no, was not grounded in insights or, or did not have any sort of business. Uh, yeah, you and know, there, there are many reasons whatever. why a client yeah, would not. Yeah, would know, not. Yeah, for whatever the reason is, the creative wants that thing. He believes that is his finest piece of work. He thinks he's Mozart. you know he wants this thing to get recognition he wants to get fame so he and ent- he creates that piece of work with the agency the client signs off a so, really small so budget so we we have a we have a, a big gap there obviously as an industry because my question would be to you know when you say ask a question ask why five times why 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 was this creative idea didn't translate into an executable idea um and there are various reasons behind yeah, that yeah. i think then going just going back to awards for those awards that you've seen that have been entered can you talk about maybe the quality of the entries yes, yes, is it yes. are we best in class are we w- global world standards here in Kenya it is really bad why okay. it is really bad yeah what's the, bad the, about it like i'll give you an example of digital media awards that i, I was you know i was of the jury in that award half the award entries was pdfs you know some of the awards you know you see so other than the format yeah apart from the format some some what is the, work, what is the content like some some creative work that you see is a complete copy of an international ad i mean like i spoke to the creative director without naming him today it's like dude you you the same guy who did the same work in another agency for another client and was also scam let me, also copy let me be the devil's advocate but we do say that uh ideas are not unique it's about It, how you execute okay. them yeah i'm talking about complete copy of the execution okay okay And Ralph Ford is saying okay. that he can't do some bantering billboard, okay. complete copy okay. of a of a Coke uh, Fanta okay. commercial in the past. So, so sometimes it is a complete copy. Sometimes you know because you are from the industry that this work never saw light of the day. This this creative piece of work no consumer has ever seen. Right. And then you see news clippings of of you know you know you have this uh, scrollers on news you know. Yeah. I mean they are all fake. You see the numbers are completely fake. So I think like there is this uh, there is this entire piece of advertising work which works on vanity which is to sort of celebrate you know a personal joys and and I I understand the But so what does also that say about the 
award bodies we have locally there is no checks there is no checks yeah. in award bodies at all i mean how do you see like the guy says this campaign got so much reach so much impressions you know you know it it like typical thing you'll see you'll see this graph end of the end of the case yeah. study you see case studies for advertising there's a graph they're saying after this ad 125 so I, I like that about checks because I, I've actually sat in Leah. Leah is London International Awards. Yeah. We call it Leah. Yeah. Um, that is a global body. A lot of the entries that win in Leah go on to win at Cannes Lion. Yeah. And I've sat on that jury twice. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about it is that the results, the campaign of brand metrics or business results were actually verified. Yeah. They were actually verified yeah. before anyone could win a, a silver, bronze, gold or a Grand Prix. The campaigns were also checked out to understand how long this did this campaign actually happen yeah. for. So again, I think that verification is needed. There is no verification here. Okay. For sure. Okay. I mean, I've been on both sides of the table. Yeah. And then just as a lesson, because yeah. uh, winning awards is not just about, you know, it's a great ego trip, but being recognized is really about being recognized about work that actually Absolutely. And impact. I think, I think absolutely. And I like, there are people who are doing genuinely good work and they, and they, they deserve to be recognized. But I coming back to the first point, right? My, my, my uh, conversation with Phil, who is my creative director in squad was very clearly, you know, we're going to do great work that we really, really honestly believe in connected to consumers and that drives business transformation. And 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 if that wins an award we'll be very happy to celebrate it but that is not something that we started our our campaign thinking did not start with awards there. i agree yeah, i did not start with saying what can so like some sometimes you have briefs that say we want to see award winning work no that was never our starting point the reason why there's a disconnect is because if if we say yes we want to see award winning work it's because we know award winning work drives effectiveness i would say it's the other way around i would say focus on work that is super effective that that drives conversations with consumers and then hope that there's a good chance that that piece of work will win an award my next question is around the period of the season that we're in we're living in a pandemic what has the pandemic taught you to do or not to do as a marketer as a marketer i think like you know we've seen sort of very human side i think i can start by saying like from an employee's perspective that you used to start seeing very human side of people that that you sort of kind of ignored as as general managers and MDs of organizations, you know. So you saw the personal side of people, which was which was sort of I think brought people together a lot more. There was also a lot of intrusion of personal space because people felt that they're always available. That's because everything is on Zoom. The ones who are working uh, on from home. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, you just kind of assume that everyone is available every time, all the time, yeah. which I think was which is not the bad side of it. From a consumer perspective, I think you no, know, you sort of you got to see the underbelly of happiness. Things between the underbelly of happiness. So underbelly of happiness is my 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 viewpoint. Is that you know when you go out today and you see youth and you see they are in the clubs and they're dancing and they're drinking they're really really happy, but underline all of that in my view is that they're all struggling you know with a lot of issues they all want to create wealth they want to be successful they just don't know how to do it they don't know where to start so I'm going to explain this underbelly of sort of you know youth happiness right so so when you see them and I was always saying like people are here so happy. Like I have never seen people so happy in their lives. Like in India, you never see happy. Like you see, go people in the clubs. They are they are sad. They are always uh, under pressure. They are always uh, struggling. So Kenyans are out there. Always happy. Uh-huh. They're always happy. I was like, how come these guys? You know, like people laugh. I don't know what it is to laugh for the longest time. I haven't think I haven't laughed out loud. You know, like gone crazy, laugh so much that you know your tears start rolling out of your eyes because I've never seen people laughing out loud. You know, for a very long time in India, it's like people are generally happy. And then I think I think like COVID exposed a lot of that, and you know, people lost a lot of lot of people lost jobs, and you know a lot of people yeah. uh, you know went 
you know under the ground their businesses are under the ground and i think like there this real struggles about people that came out which is like end of the day i might be just going out drinking just to sort of escape reality but the reality yeah. is much much more difficult you know than i want to face so i think like as marketers you know from marketing perspective i think i always say that you know there is a certain portrayal of youth which is shown which i never kind of agreed with like the, a lot of people put it as youth was like if you see youth you know they are dancing and they're drinking and they're partying but there is this hustle side of the youth which is not sort of shown so as much yeah so when you show a hustler typically in a brief you see a hustler is someone who's like 35 you know guy with kids and trying to hustle with two three businesses but the youth is hustling you know yeah. we have people you know coming and sell you know stuff in the boots of their cars selling peanuts on the road i mean they are hustling their way through i think that side of youth is not seen i think covid sort of made me as a marketer empathize a lot more on that side of youth okay i i like to hear that you know this the pandemic was really a black swan event that nobody could have predicted but how do you stay on top of trends how are you thinking about the future and bringing that future into what you're applying today okay so i have like sort of two things to say here one is that i always think about the future like it was not like oh pandemic has happened so let's start thinking about the future like for example right. we started this uh, project called the gobi app which allowed small businesses to launch their e-commerce instantly yeah, I, i know we have sort of talked about that and we are working with eabl in uganda on that so and and, and that was nothing to do with much year? much before pandemic yeah. yeah so like 6 8 months before pandemic happened right we had no idea about the pandemic so pandemic of course i think it just so happened that it just seemed like you know it was all planned and thought through but but it was a natural progression of you know what we always wanted to do we wanted to you know we wanted to do that is to help small businesses get access to the same technology that large organizations have yeah so i think like you don't so like it's what i call the muscle memory right like i did not plan for that success it was planned 10 years ago when i started thinking that technology is going to be the next revolution it was it was not so like the success that you say was sort of subconsciously planned 10 to 15 years ago that's one view of it i think like the second view of it is that like i think sometimes people sort of focus too much on a subject area and i always advise them not to so like if you're a marketing professional you're reading about marketing like do not read about marketing like read about psychology read literature i mean like a lot of the ideas i think like if you look at innovators right i mean what is the best thing about innovators is that they're able to put 10 different unrelated data points together and it all comes together in the end it's your knowledge of technology is my knowledge of entrepreneurship is my knowledge of how small businesses work is my knowledge of advertising communication it all comes together eventually to form something like google that, that's really good advice so do not just read about one thing so like if you are in the space of technology don't just read about technology like yeah. read about 100 other things yeah that's really good advice i like that and speaking of what are you reading now or what is the the one or two books you would recommend to a marketer yeah 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 i i have i have some very very good books uh, uh, they might be the most popular but but there's one so i read a lot of autobiographies and biographies and i think okay. uh, i think like i have learned the most in my life reading and listening to people so the one that i really got me into marketing and got me thinking about marketing a sort of aspect of businesses was uh, a book called the odc my journey from uh, pepsi to apple by john scully he's uh, he's as the vp marketing at pepsi leaves a job in this very famous interview where steve jobs says do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world so that's the that's the sort of conversation that convinces john scully to leave pepsi and, and join apple so that was like a really really interesting read i mean you see from the perspective of an fmcg marketer and how we sort of deploys that kind of thinking with a technology business the second one then show the popular one is uh, shoe dog by phil knight one of my favorite ones as well i, I love that one as yeah. well okay what did you like about shoe dog i think one is that the connection between your value system and marketing 
it's just so important to have that like sometimes you know when you ask marketers or brands like what is your value system typically it is on the wall somewhere but i think it's so important to have that value. i think like phil knight's personal value system you know of ambition of courage yes translated into his marketing messages number 2 is just uh, obsession with product itself like yes. before you even go to communication like obsession with building the best product in the world yes. like steve jobs you see the same thing you know elon musk the same thing yes. like this incessant obsession and there's a very interesting story which i'm sure is a very popular story with steve jobs when you know he's tried designing this mic you know his next iphone and there's this aluminum screws inside the the motherboard you know the chipboard mm-hmm. and they says like i don't like the look of this aluminum screws mm-hmm. it's like micro millimeters long and the guy says the engineer says that but no one can see this it's just inside the phone right. it says but the fact that we can see it you know that's painful enough for me so i think like that sort of incessant obsession with with building a world class product that genuinely solves human problems i think phil knight had that steve jobs had that elon musk has that i think that's why they built amazing brands which have lasted the test of time and i like that you've mentioned that because if you go back to the marketing principles the four p's yeah. you know product promotion pricing price, placement yeah yeah and placement yeah. do you think as marketers in kenya we're actually looking at all those four p's when we're doing our executions i think like by and large not i think there's some organizations which are structured i think like eabl is structured like this where where marketing is a penal function as well so there's yeah, a real focus on that yeah. yeah i know like one of the ladies i deeply respect in marketing in kenya is selvia selvia mulange from safarikom mm-hmm. you know she had a really clear understanding of like product you know pricing all of those things but by and large is completely missing i think like another sort of thing i think like marketing and product is so far removed from each other so like you have product teams and you have marketing teams i just think they have to be one marketing, do you think we focus too much on promotion 100% if you look at like a job sheet worksheet of a marketing professional is 80% marketing communication pr corporate comms all yeah. of that like i think like 70% time should be just product and innovation yeah. and customer experience design which is completely missing so like in from my perspective i look at two things from marketing perspective it is the promise and it is performance yeah i think a lot of lot of marketing professionals focus on promise rather than performance yeah like what's the last genuine innovation that you've seen you know yeah. from from businesses here like safaricom mpesa was like brilliant innovation what has happened after mpesa yeah what is the last innovation kcb did or equity bank did and they are all dear clients they have very good friends there don't get me wrong so even as performance i mean even if, even just putting aside innovation performance of the current product i think one of the biggest learnings i had and tell me what you think of this is at abl we focus equally on driving both physical availability of our products so distribution and mental, yeah. and mental availability equally because one of the things i learned was brand salience is built by both the product being available when you need it yeah. could be a thumbs click away yeah. it could be you know physically going Absolutely. to a store and the experience that comes with that so is your product being availed the right way so if it's a coca cola 3 degrees cold if it's a tasca you know at what temperature yeah and then coupled with now your mental availability yeah, for absolutely. me that was a huge lesson absolutely. that i learned a few years ago yeah 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 100% so like i would say i'm eabl i mean even in terms of innovation in terms of product i mean like hop house like fantastic beer not stopping at what you have but improving your portfolio improving i think you know you guys changed lots lot of stuff with tasca having variants like tasca light tasca cider all of that so there's there's genuinely good innovation happening but i'm saying it's just by and large missing and if you look at a marketing guy you talk to a marketing guy most of the conversations is always around advertising and communication unfortunately there's hardly any communication around product design for example mm. but if you look at you know Phil Knight and Shoe Dog if you look at Steve Jobs and Apple I mean these guys are one of the most brilliant marketing minds in the world I mean Elon Musk Steve Jobs I think they are and Phil Knight I think they are the biggest marketing gurus in the world 
they are CEOs, but they are the best marketing geniuses, right? You have to see, you know, how Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was hundred percent immersed in all his advertising. Just that they're they're not seen as marketing people, but they are marketing geniuses. You know, like the amount of free press that Elon Musk gets. These entrepreneurs, obviously, like you're saying, are marketing geniuses. Yeah. yeah. You've recently ventured into entrepreneurship. Yes. How is that coupling with now? You've come from an advertising agency or digital agency, and now you're an entrepreneur. And you also have to market your platform or your product. Just yeah. tell us a bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so let me just briefly talk about Cradle and I'll talk yeah. about like how my view of marketing has sort of evolved, uh, shifted slightly, you know, you know, from my agency days. Cradle is an online platform that uh, helps students get access to sort of technology-led career guidance and also connects them to um, colleges and universities both in Africa and abroad. So we are trying to sort of think of Cradle as... Uh, as like the booking.com of higher education. Okay. So there are two fundamental problems we're trying to solve. One is that most students who come to us have no clue in terms of what course they want to pursue. And a lot of the decision-making in terms of higher education is, is is guided by parental and societal biases. So dad wants you to do get into <laughs> business or your mom wants you to become a doctor. Like it's just crazy the number of kids who come to us and their mothers want them to become doctors. Sometimes the decision is guided by the richest cousin in the family. <laughs> so, and, and you start seeing these trends, right? We I thought mean, it was just Kenyan an African Asians thing. work in a certain way. <laughs> you see Somalis think in a certain way. Like if you look at the Kenyan nation business sort of structure, right? So father is a established businessman, is a son and daughter, goes typically to UK, like these five colleges they'll typically go to. They'll go there, they study, they'll come back with a great accent and maybe no knowledge. Then after that, they'll be asked to work in a professional organization for two years. So you understand how professional organizations work. And then mm-hmm. you'll ask to quit that job and then join dad's business. Mm-hmm. So that's like very but, standard. But some psycho. could also argue, on the other hand, that yeah. the Indian community has really good succession planning for family business. Yeah, absolutely. That maybe yeah, but maybe the kid doesn't want to do that. You know, yeah. that, that is the point. You see, like in India, for example, everything is forced on us. Like there's no choice. And we are very successful. Like we are like the, the, the like the top CEOs in the world, the largest percentage is Indians. So so we are very successful, but we might not be the happiest people in the world. So sometimes, you know, success and happiness, I think you need to sort of just balance that thing together. Okay. But if I just want to be a DJ or a music producer, like what's wrong with that? Right. I want to be a, a hairstylist mm-hmm. or a fashion designer. And like I, I did the same thing with my daughter, by the way. So I said that I should have done software engineering. I should have done technology and I lost out on it and did economics. So I wanted my daughter to learn coding, so I put her in a coding class when she was six. Mm-hmm. You're trying to know. Uh. Yeah, I'm, pu- I'm pushing her into something that she doesn't want to do, and, and, and she's good at it, and she's smart, and she's learning and everything, right? And then one day I asked her, like when I started Cradle, I was like, what am I doing to my own daughter? I know. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I went to my daughter and asked her, like, the sins okay, of your absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you know, you, they say, you know, fathers like to live their unfulfilled dreams through their kids. Absolutely. So, so, so I asked her, she said, Papa, I don't like it. Like, I'm doing it because you asked me to do it. Yeah. But I don't like it. So she likes to design and fashion and stuff. So I was like, okay, fine. I got her a bunch of dolls. Now design clothes for them. If that's what you want. So I think like Cradle is trying to solve that problem. It's just using technology to help students understand their skills, aptitudes, interests, and passions and use that now to guide them in the right career paths and courses. And the second thing is that once you've figured out this is what I want to do, then you should have like the highest options in the world for you to figure out like which is the best college for you and should be able to compare those colleges. So like if you want to do a computer science course or a business course, I should be able to compare a thousand courses, you know, and then figure out what's the best course for me. So, so does it also combine virtual learning? We have courses which are completely online that you can take and then you have short-term courses, you have certification courses, you have vocational courses, and you have 
your standard long-term degree program where you have to travel abroad to study. So we have all the options in the world. That So we are trying to build the most trusted and uh, credible student-centric uh, higher education platform in Africa. So we're just f- four or five months old now. So you're the founder of Cradle. What motivated you and inspired you to build it? So there was a time when I was in Scan Group and I think I had like a series of good successes. I built sort of good technology products and I was doing well. I had massive growth and I think at some point I was offered that, you know, I could possibly be the next sort of group CEO. So it was all going well. But, um, and then Gobi was very close to my value system, right? But at some point, like I was promised equity into the businesses and then sort of it never happened. And I remember at one point I was told that, you know what, you know, we're paying you so well. So that day when I was told that, you know, we're paying you so well, so don't complain about equity. At that time I felt so helpless. So you wanted uh, to feel like as an real owner of the business yeah yeah and because i was a founder what? and i built it and I grew it okay. and i built all the business around it right you, uh, with that so, team of my people so gobi was something you had also built within squad digital yes gobi, gobi was gobi built platform. on the squad digital like a lot of my clients thought that gobi was my product and, and optimus was my product so at that time you know, when i left you know when i came back to my place i was like this is it i want to resign okay at that time i didn't know what i want to do but i just knew that you know i want to do something which has transformation and scale but it was a very difficult decision to do because you know it's just a great job and pays really well and uh, I've, I've got good respect Getting in the community comfort, yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was very comfortable and i was yeah. like i could run squad like with my eyes closed it was it was simple yeah plus i had a great team around me as well so that was a very difficult decision so actually i was not able to decide so i got myself uh, a coach i searched for the best coaches in an the world. executive coach Yes. Okay. So I found a coach in India. I read a lot of reviews and I think she seemed like the right coach. So I had a one-hour call with her. I told her exactly what I'm going through. So she said she's willing to help me. And then we had a sessions, you know, we had sessions for two to three months. And I'll tell you the pivotal point when I was able to make the decision. You know, she said, you know, the first thing she told me in the first session was, what is your value system? Like, what do you value? It's like, what do you mean what I value? Like, I don't know. Like, I value good stuff. Um, and no, she said, write me 10 things that you value. So I wrote those 10 things. It was not easy because I never, you know, usually don't in your day-to-day lives don't even reflect on these things at all. So, you know, one of those things were sort of ambition. I like mentoring naturally. It comes naturally to me. I was the youngest author of economics book in India. I like to teach. I was a teacher. That was a value system to me. I've never driven out of money. I've never been driven out of money. So money was never something that I valued. So I, I put down those 10 things together. Ambition, freedom was a very high, high up in my value system. Like, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I should be able to do what I want. That's why I was able to build products like Optimus and Gobi because I worked in a free hand, you know, and, and thankfully Bharat sort of gave me that sort of free hand to do whatever I wanted to do. So so, so what I did was, so I, I put those 10 values together. She said, then she said, okay, give us on a scale of one to 10, rank scan group and rank your own startup. How much score? And it was very clear. After the exercise, was very clear, I, I need to leave. So, 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 so I want to use technology to create impact. Uh, I feel really good about it. Money doesn't make me feel good at all, but this makes me feel good. Like when we have, like when we started Gobi, and entrepreneurs came to me and said, you know, I have left my full-time job because of your app because now I have a flourishing business online for three dollars a month, which I wow. couldn't ever afford and access. You know, we had so many, you know, people who came to us. You know, we had sixteen thousand signups in the first, you know, six months of launch. Like that makes me feel good. It makes me feel my life is worth it. Um, from a, you know, you had come from this comfort zone where you're earning a salary. And I'm asking this because there are many of us in employment and would want to be entrepreneurs, but there's that fear. So how did you overcome that? Like, how am I going to be yeah, able yeah. to? I had, I, had, I had tremendous fear. I mean, after I resigned, I had like, I finished a pack of cigarettes, like in one hour. <laughs> 
I was like, "Oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I done?" And I was screaming. I was like, "Oh my goodness, the biggest mistake of my life. What did I do?" <laughs> Interestingly, the first time I resigned, my boss said, "Okay, if you want to resign," because I thought my resignation would be a process, you know. But I guess my boss, a bit of an ego, is like, "Okay, Manish is maybe just overthinking. He'll always come back. No one's going to leave this job." So anyway, so I was very nervous. And and that takes me to like my first point is of course all always around purpose like my purpose you know should drive your life like I always fear death like I'm I'm tremendously scared of it like I can't imagine like I can't imagine it in my head like what world would be when there's black and vacuum everywhere and there's nothingness you know like I don't understand that like I can't comprehend I can't come to the idea with that so but I do, thought but don't you believe in reincarnation. <sighs> In India they say you are reincarnated as a human person after 840 million births. So for the next 840 of- million births I'm going to be either a turtle or a mosquito. What? 840 million births that you have to have before, before you get you- a human birth. Like that's that's what we grew up in Hindu mythology, right? So I'm going to be a mosquito or an ant or a <laughs> like god forbid a tortoise if I have to live for 200 years like that. So um okay. so I'm not going to have a human birth anytime soon I know that. I mean that's what I grew up with and again you know these things mm. you never know. So then I was like how do you immortalize yourself so like i think steve jobs is immortalize himself yeah. right you know there's yeah. there's tim cook is the new ceo of you know apple but you know it will always be steve jobs yeah you know so i thought like the only way to immortalize yourself is to build something so meaningful and so powerful which is so deeply and widely used across the world that even after you're gone people sort of use it and they're saying you know their biographies written so i am very you know governed by that much you know that those kind of things like how do you immortalize yourself so that sort of gave me a lot of courage as well because like I mean, the, like life can't be just uh, a nice car and yeah. uh, nice. This uh, legacy bunch of type clothes. of work. I have five shirts that I interchange. <laughs> like if you see any interview, you see the same orange shirt. Like I have nothing else to offer. I have white shirt and a black jacket. And I love that. So you're you're driven with that building that Purpose, legacy. Yeah. So, so yeah. coming to the next point that you said, courage, right? Uh, how do you get the courage? Courage doesn't come overnight. It's not a leap of faith that you take. One day you wake up saying, "I'm going to quit my job." And yeah. You courage. You accumulate courage. I accumulated courage over a three month period. you know after i quit my job i didn't have the courage i i thought i'll probably go back and say bharat sorry i made a mistake just hire me back you know so i accumulated courage and and my coach actually you know guided me very well through that process of accumulating courage so you talked about marketing is kind of different you know yes, in a startup so, what what's different now yes 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 so i have i have created like this new structure of marketing right and it is 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 like a pyramid with three sort of pillars in it the first thing i call it the functional brand the second pillar i call the emotional brand and the third pillar i call the corporate brand so we have we have just sort of raised a million dollars from from large silicon valley you know investors you're just saying it so casually you've raised how much a uh, million dollars yeah well done thank you congratulations <laughs> thank you <laughs> so we can spend a bunch of money on advertising we have a lot of money to spend on advertising but but you know i believe that first you need to build a functional brand which is a brand a product so good uh, a product so good that people would want to use it and talk about it you know and i am not convinced that we have the best product okay or or i know we can never have a perfect product you know there are there are certain things that we see about our product that we not happy about so currently we doing the third iteration of our product and we have like cycles of iterations that we do every you know 30 days we we launch you know we look at a bunch of data and we improve our product so i think like before you build a great sort of emotional connection you know from advertising you need to build a great product yeah. um like uber is a great product i mean like yeah. the first day someone used uber i said manish have you tried this app you know allows you to book a taxi you know from an app and then you talk about it all the time so the first thing i think like brands need to focus on is building a great functional product 
Like how different, honestly, is one savings account of a bank from the 42 other banks offering another savings account or one health insurance product with like thousand other insurance products in the market. There is no real differentiation. There is no innovation. There is no strong value proposition. So, so first thing, you know, we want to convince ourselves. So, so we had this framework called the OKR framework that we follow, which is objective key results. And, and part of the OKR framework, we have two things. One is uh, build a truly differentiated value proposition and build a product or service that our consumers will love. Like till the till the time we are convinced that we are close to that, we're not going to do advertising. When you say build a product that you know consumers will love, yeah. how do you measure that? How do you know this yeah. is what they love or what yeah. they want? Yeah, so there's a bunch of sort of technical analysis that we do around it. Like for example, we have like the search engine where people can you know come and search for colleges. And one way to measure that they found what they wanted to find was when they search for something and then they actually apply for that college and they actually enroll in that college. So without us telling them, they organically, the organic traffic came to our website, they searched for a bunch of things and they found them and they actually liked them and they actually, without any advertising. Right? Okay. So that's one way to measure it. The second thing we, we use, we use referrals, like how many students do give us referrals. We also do ratings and reviews for all our students. So every student is, is asked to give us a rating and review. So those are the ways in which we measure that today. Tell me about the time where you used data to make a business decision. I think it was in the way you do your free subscriptions, your free trial. Yes, yes. That was a very, very interesting thing, right? I mean, it also talks about like how a lot of the marketing is given out of stereotypes. And, 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 and I know you guys, you know, are very, very big advocates of, you know, speaking against stereotypes. But they're like these subconscious bias and, and stereotypes that marketers form over a period of time. Yeah. So, unconscious. We all have Completely unconscious. unconscious. And, yeah. and I have that. And everyone yeah. has that, right? Yes. And I'll give you an example of my own unconscious you know sort of bias that i had so so we had this gobi app right and uh, we were offering uh, you know our customers 30 days of free trial period okay. and after 30 days you're supposed to pay three dollars per month as subscription fees and we said 30 days is enough for someone to you know download the app use the ad you know app add products to the app and start getting business and start promoting their business so so we thought 30 days was good enough period right and then we realized that our conversion rate from from free period to the paid period was extremely poor. I think under under five percent. And we tried everything. We had a call center calling you know customers and you know also like we couldn't figure it out. Then then we got this data scientist to come and work with us, uh, Moses, amazing guy. Like you know if you meet him, you know he can't talk, but he's really good at what he does. So he did a bunch of analysis and he was in meetings with us and he was figuring out where the problem is. And then he, and he came to me and he said, Manish, I think we need to reduce the subscription period from 30 days to 15 days and and it the was free com- period the free period yeah, okay. from 30 to 15 days and it was completely counterintuitive because our sort of unconscious bias told us that if they maybe they're not happy enough in 30 days maybe they need more time they to figure out the time. product mm. and and we thought like 30 days should become 60 days like our, my decision right. was to make it 60 days and not make it 30 days but but he said actually you should reduce it to 15 days so once we reduce to 15 days, our conversion rate from free period to paid period actually doubled. And that's like a classic example of like how marketers need to use data to sort of fight their own unconscious biases and, and just rely on data for all decision And the important thing making. is when you have the data, you actually use it to make decisions. Absolutely. Not that you put it aside and say, okay, that that's what that says. Yeah. Let's still go with this other yes, way. Yes, yes, Which yes, is yes, a, yes. a lot of the mistakes. I like the, the good thing with digital businesses is that, you know, and, and because we are a very digital sort of led business and we don't do billboards and stuff, uh, as yet, um, our 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 ability to take risks and be agile is very very high. So like at the same time, our website homepage will have ten different variations, and you can try it on different things, and not really worry about you know. Because you do a lot of brand, right, test and learn. 
Yeah, yeah. We everything every. So we have a simple rule, right? Uh, no one decides what to do. We just let consumers decide what we're going to do. Like everything you that we do, just let who decide? decide. Consumers decide what to do. Okay. So for every decision we make, um, we we open up both the options in front of consumers, and that consumers, whatever consumer action is better, we actually just go with That's that really decision. That's really important. So we are completely cold about our decision making process. So we we have deliberately put an effort to kill our own intuition for now. Okay. What else are you doing differently in terms of marketing? In in this, what has changed? So yeah, so I think like you know, so we had like this philosophy, right? So so we product, you know, product design is like the building a functional man was important. Second is building that emotional engagement. So so I was very influenced with uh, by by Dr. James Wong again how he's built Equity Bank as as a brand, and I think it's mm. a very sort of strong PR driven brand. I think if you talk, if you, if you listen to him, he's always talking about wings to fly, mm-hmm. or how this like common man on the street, you know, who started working with Equity Bank has grown into be a big business. You know, it's always those storytelling of like transformation, right? So mm-hmm. so 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 one thing we were clear with that our brand is going to be built from PR, which mm-hmm. was a very contrarian view to what I did in advertising for seven years, right? Okay. Uh, and 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 then and I think like. You know, we've been sort of fairly successful in doing that. In fact, without having a PR agency, so we got covered by Daily Nation two times, Business Daily two times. You know, I'm here right now. So, what, sto- what story are you telling when when you're saying you're I taking think, from a PR perspective? Like, yeah, so it's a story of the problem that we're trying to solve, okay. how the system is broken, how we're trying to agitate the system from outside. And I, I remember this meeting I had with the Business Daily editor, right? And and I told him like, this is. I just sort of found him on LinkedIn, and I just met him for lunch, and I said, look. You know, this is what we're trying to do. I said, I want yeah. to do a story. I said, how much money will it cost me? He said, no, because we want stories like this to be told. And he said, I went through the same problem. He wanted to be something else, and he ended up being somewhere else. And and I think like if you have like a really strong value system, that value system becomes like the biggest magnet for your business. It attracts media attention. It attracts yeah. investors, and it also attracts great employees. Yes. So like brands, you need to think about what is that sort of transformative, disruptive value system that they have. and that value system will become the magnet for everything. Wow. So what if you're you're not sure what your value system is? Where do you get started on that? Take time to figure it out. I think deep down inside, mm-hmm. yeah, deep down inside we all know our values. I think it's just so sort of suppressed by sort of the material things around life and you know just trying to you know just trying to stay alive and oh, just trying sh- to stay short-term happy. Short-term gains versus long-term. Yeah, so you just need to reflect and I think we'll all find answers like when we had to I had to start I didn't know what answers are but you always find answers. So are you more focused on building the brand, building the platform? Are you more short-term focused or long-term focused? Yeah, so we are we are we are running we are, we are we are building everything with a 10 year horizon, right? Everything is a 10 year like even with our investors they know that. I mean, don't look at anything for the next 6 months to 1 year or next 3 years. We're looking at what could we be in the next 10 years or next 100 years. And I think that kind of sort of guides our decision making with everything. So very visionary, very long term. Hundred percent long term. But how are you able to do that, not knowing what the what what's coming in the future? Yeah, who needs to know? <laughs> That's the exciting part of it, right? I mean, you just figure things out. I mean, things that we knew about our own business and our consumers are completely different today that they were six yeah. months ago. And that is the joy of this uh, running your own business because it's just uh, a beautiful discovery process. How did you manage to raise the seed money? This is million dollars. What did you do? So we actually call it pre-seed. So even it's before you do seed round, yeah, because okay. we want to do a pre-seed round, pre-seed round of three to five million dollars. So, okay. so so we want to do a small pre-seed before. So one thing I did was I think like, and I sort of a message to any entrepreneur listening to this show is to sort of find yourself the best co-founders that you can find. So I had two really good co-founders. One CTO who's built 
great technology products we've been in the past we have great chemistry and the other co-founder i had was uh, ex sort of ifc world bank and venture capital so great cfo great friend of mine he's actually my neighbor that's how we met so he's a guy who's sort of really focused on fundraising it's a very interesting story how we actually <laughs> ended up raising money so so we didn't know even like where to start and a bunch of sort of networks that we had we reached out to all of them and they all of them like nah, we don't understand this and all of that so we didn't get success for the first one month then i got someone was selling this list on linkedin for 4000 shillings and that list had the list of all the vcs angel investors who ever invested in africa in the last you know 20, 24 months and how much they've invested in all of that so i bought this list for 4000 shillings okay. and we had a we had a investment deck that we just sent out cold to all of those like 100 200 people on that list and that's when like someone responded and eventually our lead investor enza capital you know just got our email cold email like we didn't know them they didn't know us and i think like a lot of this sort of things you know as i said two things like if you have an incredibly strong value system and your business is trying to really change something it'll attract investors yeah and second thing is that success creates success so the moment you have the first investor then every investor wants to be in the business what are your fears now do you have any fears no with I'm, this platform no i'm i'm absolutely fearless so no regrets about leaving no 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 not at all i think it's the happiest moment and time of my life right now this is i've never been happier i've never been happier in my life and i like I, i wish like you know like i could tell the story like i have so like after some of my pr articles and my conversations my interviews etc i mean a lot of entrepreneurs have come to me and these are people working very large jobs in very large organizations like manish i just don't have the courage and i just wish you can just cross the line just cross the line <laughs> it's not that. easy but just cross the line it's just a, a beautiful world <laughs> yeah it's a beautiful world out there i mean also i just want everyone to know that this is like the best time to start a business in africa because amount of fundraising activity in africa there is so much money chasing so few ideas i mean we talked to investors investors have told us now these are big silicon valley investors and they're telling us like please money should you know any more businesses that we could invest in they are sitting on so much yeah. capital I think about like 2 billion dollars of funding is happening every single month. Why do you think Africa is so attractive right now? So US, you know, is sort of highly competitive, yeah. super sort of penetrated, you know, highly saturated. So is Asia Pacific now. The valuations have gone through the roof right now. So if you want to invest in business in the US, the UK or or Asia Pacific, the valuations are crazy. So one investors find that they can get cheaper valuations here to get into the business early on. Yeah. Second is that the demographics of the market we have the largest youth population in the world like in my business our pitch was very simple we're sitting on the largest student population in the world with the least access to higher education so we have 10% education penetration for the largest so that's the like that's the opportunity Big itself opportunity. right it's a highly aspirational market i mean the youth market yes. is highly aspirational there is there is there's an aspiration for a better life for a good life there is a growing yes. middle class population i mean there is all the sort of signs are right and just that investors sort of you know didn't sort of look at africa very seriously because they were so occupied by the us and the asia yes. pacific of the world now yes. they're looking at here and softbank is here the vision fund is here i mean sequoia capital tiger global they're all here i mean there's never been a better time to raise capital Manish I've learned so much today I've learned about courage about what it takes to you know to take that leap of faith well done on that um I think your message will be an inspiration to many thank you so much for coming and sharing your your journey with us today thank you Vaidhya it was a pleasure being here I think every time I talk about the stories I become a lot more convinced that we've done the right thing you're doing, the, doing right the right thing. things you've yeah, done yeah, it yeah, absolutely <laughs> all right great all right, thank, thank you, you.